We're in Philippians chapter 4, and uh, what we're talking about this evening is the remainder of what we've been talking about this morning, that peace of God and following up on it. Years ago, and this happened before I graduated with my master's program, but they used to do this in seminary. I don't know what they do as far as some of the secular schools, but there used to be a time, did I just change something here in our sound system? Just, okay. Um, there used to be a situation where the guys, when they were graduating, they would sit them down and they would examine them thoroughly before they would give them any kind of a graduation certificate. Part of the final, if you would call it that, was that they had to go and meet with all the professors and they would, they would absolutely grill them about a series of doctrines, series of other questions. And uh, they stopped that in the school that I went to just a few years before I graduated, amen. And so we didn't have to do that, but there was a reason that they often did that. They they would examine the people to see if that they were qualified to graduate. One is to find out if they fully comprehended their education that they were given. Is it, is it possible to sit through a class and never learn anything? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think more importantly, some of that grilling was done for this reason. Does the person show that they have the skill set? Do they know how to handle the tools to find the right answers? Because in reality, are we going to have all the answers when we graduate from whatever field? No. No, but do we have the skill set to be able to find the answers? And so that part of that training was to be able to give people, a find out if those people had a full uh, toolbox full of training that they could handle the problems. They know where they're basically where they are and what they can do to handle the problems. Paul talks about that toolbox of training in Philippians chapter 4. He makes comment down in about verse, oh, let's see if I can catch it right off the top of my head, where he's talking about that idea in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. The word that he uses there is the idea I've been fully trained. It's not just that I've been exposed to it. It's not just that I read something on the internet, but we all know. If it's on the internet, it must be true, okay? So it's more than just, okay, did I, did I get some exposure? Do I fully comprehend? Do I, you know, he says, I know, I do comprehend. I have experience to its nth degree. I have a full training. I've got my MDiv, he says. I've got my, D, my, my doctoral degree in trials and troubles and difficulties. And so he's starting off in that section talking about that and saying that his training has been really, really beneficial. beneficial. Part of that training he talked about in the previous few verses. He has said part of my training was I had to learn how to control my thought life. I had to learn what to think upon, what to focus upon, how to bring it under control. Now, what we've talked about this morning, we gave it very quickly, is Paul had mentioned back in, in this passage, back in verses 8 and 9, he had mentioned a series of different thoughts that he says, I've got to be thinking about. These are the items that I've got to be focusing upon. These are the thought patterns. These are when trials come, when pain is there, this is where I need to shift my mind. This is what I need to focus on. And he talks about all these different virtues. Now as he's going about in finishing out the chapter, he is going to use that, that as I think about this, this has helped me as we go on in the text. He says, but I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly and now at the last of your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer, and I can do all things. He is basically saying, I have learned. I have had this full training to come to contentment, and part of it was thinking the right way. 
Learning to pull my thoughts in. And again, I remind you, when Paul is writing this, Paul is writing from a perspective that he's got a lot of thoughts that could really be overwhelming. He's got a lot of difficulties. He's got a lot of, of challenges just dealing with some peoples and some conflicts, dealing with different points. And yet he says, I am learning to rejoice. How did he do that? How did he come to a contented point? How did he bring in the middle of a chaotic life? And I'm, I think it's fair to say Paul's life was filled with chaos. There was chaos of the prison. There was chaos of, of the conflicts. There was chaos of, the, of the, those causing division in the church. There's chaos in not having food. There's chaos sometimes in having a lot. Is it not, not true? Sometimes when you have a lot, there's chaos in your life, just keeping up with it. So he says, okay, I've had this chaotic life, but I've learned to become content. And that contentment is something that doesn't come quickly. The words for that learning to become content is that full education. And then he also uses another word that I think it's worth just mentioning right now, down in verse 12. In all things I have been and am instructed both to be full and hungry. The word that he uses is a very unusual word for instructed. It is the word that would often be used like um, secret societies. I've been initiated into this secret society. I've, I've come through into this event of whatever it may be, some society, some secret club, and they've given me all these tests and they've, they've given me all this instruction and now I know something that a lot of people just don't know. And Paul says, I've gone through this and frankly, I've learned some things that a lot of people don't know about. They, don't, they haven't come to the point of knowing how to both abound and to be abased. We'll talk about what that exactly means in a few minutes. But he said, I've come to that point and I've learned. And part of that learning tells me this, that this contentment, this coming to this point in our life where we've come, become content and we're satisfied with what we've got and where we're at and the situations we're in, if part of that is not automatic as a Christian. It's a learning process. As soon as you get born again, that doesn't mean, okay, everything has changed in my thought life and I'll never struggle with anything again. He makes it very clear that's not true. He makes it very clear that there's a whole lot of Christians that have never been introduced into that secret of contentment. So it's not something that's automatic. In fact, let me just make, make it clear. It is something that takes time to learn. For all of us, it takes time. In fact, the time factor in the book of James is that if we want to mature like this, we're going to end up with what? Trials and troubles, okay? And that's not something that you and I want, but that it's important for us to learn this contentment. This contentment is possible, no matter what the situation, in prison, in pain, or in great prosperity, to say, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm content with what I'm doing and where I'm at. But it really depends a lot on what we think upon, what we in let into reside in our thought life and focusing. And so what I want to do this evening is I don't want to focus on the, the different items listed in verse 8 and what we could think upon. I want to show you how Paul brings that out in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 to the end of the chapter. What he concludes this book in, <clears throat> that as he thought about these items, they really, really were used of God to help produce even greater contentment in his heart. This was what we should think on. This, what we're sharing this evening, is what's going to help you to be fully instructed or to learn some type of contentment and not complacency, but satisfaction and peace in your life. What do we focus on? What do we think about? Number one, here's what we're going to do. It was already mentioned about thinking upon. The areas are this. One, you need to think about your position in Christ. 
Now, that is assumed by the time we get to this chapter. If we want to see it explained in its detail, you've got to go back to chapter 1. The people that he's talking to, <clears throat> he's going to call them, back in chapter 1, two terms that are very important. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all, the term is combined with two different phrases, the saints in Christ Jesus. What's he going to remind them about? Okay, when he starts the book, he's going to remind them that thought that you are holy ones. You are called out ones. You belong to Jesus. You are put in Jesus Christ. This is such a, such a beautiful thought. This is such a powerful thought in our life, in our pattern. Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going? You, those are pivotal questions. Here he answers it in verse 1. You are saints of God if you're born again. You are called out to serve God Almighty. Your, your identity is found in Jesus Christ first and foremost. My identity is not found in, okay, I'm a pastor. My first and foremost identity is I'm a child of God. Your first identity isn't that you're a secretary or you're a doctor or you work at, the, at a factory or you're a student. Your first and foremost identity, you are one of those special folk who are in the family of God. You, are, you belong to Jesus. That means when you think this through that for any of us and all of us, our sin can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And again, not through anything else. That means that holiness is imparted to us through God. That he shares that with us. That he gives us that which we don't deserve. That spiritual elevation can be done for anybody. Think about the people you know in this church of Philippi that we were introduced in, in back in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Do you remember those people? The first one mentioned is this woman who's a businesswoman, the seller of purple. She has a house. She is a wealthy woman. We don't know if she's a widow. We don't know if she's a single gal. We don't know her life story. We don't know if she's married, but we know of Lydia, who is a prosperous person, but her identity is found that she is a saint. She is in Jesus Christ. Remember any other characters that we find in that chapter? Um, we find a jailer. A jailer, and you would think, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, more of a gruff individual, somebody who, who's, you know, kind of hard, and yet his identity is found in Christ. I think of another person that's in this story, the demoniac, the woman who's, who they cast out the demon, and here she is, changed, with a, with a very surly past, and yet she is a saint, a holy one. Does God put together all types of people from all different backgrounds and form them into a group called a church? Yeah, he does. And he makes it into a unique group that he says, you are holy ones, you are saints. You people should remember that if you and I should remember, Paul is saying that if we are saved, we have enjoyed God's special grace, we are spiritual royalty. And we don't say that with pride, but with humility we say, God has elevated us to the point of spiritual royalty. To God be the glory, great things he has done. But that's a good thought. That's a precious thought, that in the middle of all the different pressures of our life, when we have bills, when we have illnesses, when we have the tests and the exams and the difficulties, I'm a child of God. I'm one of His. I have been called out to live a holy life, and that's going to help me to handle the problems day by day. There's a second thought pattern. 
that we need to have in our mind. It's the peace of God. It's that idea that we talked about this morning that God is able to give us another blessing. Not only a position in Him, but God gives to us His peace. What a great gift. We talked about it this morning, so let me go on to number three. Number three, that gift of God, that, that, that blessing that He gives that is going to help me to realize His compassion, His goodness, is His provisions. The provisions that He makes. You see in this book, Paul's talking about his problems, his difficulties, and he's going to make comment in this book about how these people helped him out. Now, let me remind you that God providing for us is often a work of providence. Providence is something that you in this day and age probably can understand better than most people's in terms in, in generations gone by because we're so used to seeing videos. We have them in our phones. We have them everywhere. Well, providence is literally to see ahead of time to get that, that beforehand look at what's coming. Well, God has a, for, a beforehand look to know what's down in your, coming in your life. And He can provide, He can prepare, He can bring things and manipulate situations that come so as to help provide your needs even before you even know there's a need, things are moving. And isn't that great that we have a God who is able to do that? Who can see our next week, our next month, and know what we need, and already is preparing for that. Sometimes preparing by giving us some experience. Sometimes probably preparing us, bringing somebody into our life. Sometimes preparing us so that there might be some incident, some whatever occasion that arises, so as to help us to handle what's ahead. Well, Paul says, there was a lot of things that came into my life that were difficult that were stressing me out, his needs, his financial needs. He's going to refer to them in this book and in others where he talks about he had wants. He says in verse 12, as you look through the passage, he said that there was times where I suffered need. He's going to make comment in verse 15 that there was no church that was actively coming and standing beside him and helping to meet his needs. So he felt that sometimes that he was kind of out on that island. He talks about his necessity that occurred when he was in Thessalonica in verse 16. You were the only ones that sent again to meet my necessity. And so what he's talking about is that God made provision for him, that God took care of him. And God used the Philippian church to help, to help manage this situation. And as a result, he's going to comment how there was times where you responded to my needs and you met it once and then once again. You even sent, and he talks about it in verse 18, you sent Epaphroditus. I received your gift. The things that were sent from you, that which in essence it was a sweet smelling sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God, your charity, your goodness. And so Paul is writing to them and he is being thankful that God has made provisions for him. God has worked out details. Even before he knew what some of these were, God was probably working in the hearts of the Philippians. God was manipulating and working out and coordinating. And Paul ends up saying, I am very grateful for the, provision, the provisions God has made. Because he says in verse 19, my God shall supply your need according to riches. He's saying that by experience. And he goes on, he says, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. I'm praising God. I am thankful for God's provisions. And he announces that. He proclaims that. He's also very confident that God will continue to provide. My God shall supply. And he's talking about that idea with absolute certainty that it's going to take place. We'll talk about that in another minute or so. But he's come to the point where he has been content. Why? He is confident. He is grateful. He knows that God has given him a position in Christ. And as, this, as the, he's a child of God, God is going to make provisions for him. 
Oh, there are stories that abound about how God provides. We could have you give the better stories. We could have you stand up and say, hey, here's what something God did. God met this need even before I expressed it. God did this in my life. Before I was thinking about it, he brought it in. Let me give you a couple of them. These are from Christian writers. Laura Cox, who's down in Texas. She's She's formerly Laura Cox. She's a young lady, was married. She talks about the day that she'll never forget she got the phone call. Her father died. She was absolutely just distraught. Her mom and dad had recently moved out of the area and gone up to where another relative lived, one of her brother's sisters. And so she was trying to get everything ready to get on the plane, to get out of here really, really fast. And the flight was flying out early in the morning, so she needed to get things put together. One of the things she needed to do is get her laundry done. Okay, and so she started that washing machine and it broke. You know how that is. When you all of a sudden have a major crisis, any additional problems inflate, do they not? And so she was just, she said, I was beside myself. I needed a call, get this repaired. I needed some clothes before I left. And so she called this repairman. No, no, it's too late. We're not coming. It's, you know, we're hovering over the weekend. No, 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 no. And so she was standing there. She says, I was crying and crying. You know, is there anything that can be done? I've called six different repairmen and none of them will come. And so she saw another number seem to pop out on the page to her with, for some unexplainable reason. She called. And she could tell it was an older gentleman, and she explained, you know, that she needs to leave. And I says, I'll be right over. He comes over, and he's repairing her wash machine, gets it done in a little bit. And she asked him. He's so kind. He's so nice. She asked him after it's all done. She said to him, <clears throat> I have a question. I called all these other people. Why is it that you came out here late at night? You're not even, you said you won't even charge me any extra other than just the normal daytime rates. How is it that you're doing that? He says, oh. He said, it was funny when you called. The, just before you called me, he said, my wife and I were sitting there and we were recalling how God has been so good to us in the past. He said, we were recalling one incident years ago when we were first married. We moved into this area. I couldn't find a job. I couldn't work. And it was desperate times. There was hardly anything left in our pocketbook. And I saw in the apartment we had lived, I saw some guy across the street putting up fences for some of the people. So I went down and I just asked him, could you use a hand? Could you hire me and just give me a job for just the day? And the guy said, well, sure, sure. And the guy, he said, gave me the job. And then the guy hired me for several weeks beyond that until his work ran out. But he said, the guy was so nice to me. The guy was so gracious to me. The guy was so, so helpful to me. And my wife just said, we just got to make sure that we never forget to be gracious and helpful to others in need. And so he said, you called right after my wife had said that. And made that comment. So your call was like, oh, here's a godsend at that moment. And then so she was pleased and she was thinking, oh, it's a God thing. God just worked in their hearts and their minds at the same time. And then the man made this comment. He says, I sure wish I could ever find that T.J. Cox to thank him for giving me that job. Isn't that a God thing? It was her dad. There's a story that this gal, Sally Bristol, writes about in Tennessee. She writes about when her dad was really, really sick, had a tonsillectomy. He came home from the hospital, and back in those days, that would be, it was severe for an adult to, to have the tonsillectomy. Back in those days, a little bit more severe. And it's the middle of the summer, hot, just very, very miserable day. They bring dad home, and dad is in, that, in the old you know, Jeep, and it's bouncing. And by the time he got home, he's really in, just in terrible condition. They put him in bed, and then the worst thing happens. Things start to hemorrhage. They are able to get a hold of the doctor on the party line, and the doctor says, you need to get, and get him back to town, but first of all, get that, get that, you know, that bleeding stopped. You've got to get ice on it right away. Get some ice on it. And the mom has ice. 
Where are we going to get ice? We don't even have a freezer or things in our house. It's the middle of August. How are we going to get ice? So mom gathered the kids together and said, Dear God, we really need your help. We need some ice. Well, what they didn't see was that in the middle of this, this calamity taking place, it got a little bit darker outside. And all of a sudden when she finished her prayer, they heard this, this tapping on the windows. The kids ran over to the windows and looked down. And they said, Mommy, look at this. It's, you know, it's raining pellets. Well, you know what the pellets were. It was hail. Mom looked out the window and mom said, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the ice. And she ran out and gathered it up and got dad taken care of by gathering up the hail. Now, do we, do we mean to say that a hailstorm comes just because of that one person's need? Yeah, yeah, okay. Does God work that way when we have needs? Sure he can. Sure he can. So what we need to do is we need to at times reflect on how has God provided for us? What has God done? In the middle of where we're all of a sudden we're stretched and tense because of the bills and those pressures, let's make sure we take those moments when we had that praise time and reflect on the provisions of God. How has God done the God things for us? Providing and taking care of. They are, they are in our life time and time again if we pause and reflect. So he says, think about this. Think on these things. Think about your position in Christ. Think about the peace that God has made possible for you and available for you. Think upon his provisions. Give you another thought to keep in your mind. Think about the people of God. The people of God that are used in your life. He talks about it in verse 1 or verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last of your care of me it has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. I need to explain that so let's just walk through what we're talking about. Paul knows that the people of God in Philippi have been used of God in his life. They have really impacted his life. Now, he's ministered to them, and he's been a blessing, but he knows that they have cared for him. Their care has flourished. That idea is it's bloomed like the flower in the springtime. It's new each season. He talks about, he says, that you were and continue to be full of concern for me. And then he says, you lacked opportunity. Literally, it just means this. There was moments where you didn't know what you could do. Do you ever have those moments? Where you know of somebody in need and you're saying, how can we help them? I'm not sure what, the, what we can do, but I really want to help them. Have you felt that this week? Have you felt that in recent weeks? Of knowing and seeing others within the family here of Christ and you say, we want to help, we want to do something. I'm not sure what I can do, but I want to try something. And so he says, that's what you Philippians were like. You cared for me so much. You wanted to extend. You wanted to reach out. I know that you wanted to do that. And you sent once and again to me that you, you provided for me. Now, he adds in here in the midst, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Do you see that in verse 11? He says, I'm telling you how you were so gracious and you were careful. You didn't know how to give. And, oh, but but I, I, I'm not speaking in respect that, that of want. What's he mean by that? I'm not going to tell you that, I, that, that I'm sitting here and learning to, to be content in troublesome times and in, in poverty. I'm not saying that so that you immediately respond and send me more, more gifts. Why would he bother saying that? Because he knows those people. What is their pattern? When they know of a need, what do they want to do? They want to give. 
They want to get. He wants to make it clear to them that he's not asking them to do any more. They've done so much already. But he's confident in these people. He's he knows what they are like. He makes sure they understand. He's he's commenting on it not to get more, because he knows that they'll give more. But that's the blessing of these people. That he talks about how they have been such a blessing. How he has received from them three Epaphroditus in verse eighteen. These people were a real godsend to Paul in his life. He's content because of all these gifts that God has given, including the people that God has put in his life. The people that genuinely care for him, genuinely are concerned and it's overflowing and they take action. Sometimes they don't know what action to take, but they're willing. They want to help. They want to extend themselves. Do you have those type of people around you? Um, May I answer that my own question? Look in this room. Look at the gift of God that sits in the room around you, in the pews around you. Look at the family of Christ that sits here in a congregation that time and time again rallies around individuals, comes to them. I have heard it repeatedly, time and again, the response by the church family has been overwhelmingly encouraging. It has been blessed. It has been encouraging. It has been sustaining. Keep it up. Keep it up. But you and I, in the flip side of it, we don't want to get into this mindset that nobody cares. They care. They'll do. The people around you will reach out and will help you. If you feel that loneliness, if you feel that discouragement, you need to let us know. There is a willingness to help. It is a gift of God to have a church family, to have people who will help you out in time of need. Paul says, that's going to keep me going, keep me content, because I know my position in Christ. I know what God has for me, a peace that passes understanding. I know he will provide for me. I know he has put into my life people. People who are brothers and sisters in Christ who will go the extra mile for me. And so he says, I'm going to count my blessings. And here as I continue to think on these things, man, a day they bring me to the point that by the end of the chapter, he is filled with praise. Is there anything else we should be thinking about? Let me give you another thought. We should be considering the power of God. The power of God that he mentions in this text. He says in verse 13, he had said earlier, he said, I have learned to become content You and I know that that's not easy. We know that by experience that can be difficult. But he talks about even a more difficult lesson that he has had to learn. Can I take you to that idea of of the idea that he mentions in verse 12? I, I know how to, he says, to be abased and I know how to abound. Does anybody have a different rendering for abased? Different translation? It's the idea of being able to be humbled enough to take help. Okay? That's a difficult thing for a lot of us in this room. A lot of us are more interested in giving than receiving. We are quick to be able to reach out and to lend a hand, which is what we should do. But when the shoes are reversed or flipped on the other feet, you know, Paul, Paul says, you know, I had to learn to be a gracious taker, a gracious receiver. And he's, and, and I remind you, he is so careful that he's going to say, you, you don't have to give me any more. You don't have to get, you know, he, he isn't begging. He's not one of those who has his hand out all the time. He is very careful. 
about expressing his needs because he knows that they're going to jump on the, on the bandwagon to meet the need. And so he says, I, I don't. But he's also had to learn to be able to graciously accept the help of other people. And that's his abasement. That's the idea of I had to learn this. I had to come to that spot. It's not easy. How do you come to that spot? How do we, who many of us in this room, we are independent. We want to give, but we want to make sure nobody, nobody don't, you, don't, you don't need to help me out. I'm okay. How do we learn that difficult moment? How do we learn to become content? For some of us, our life has been, we've been trained to just succeed and to have this goal and to push forward and to do, do more and more and more and more. And there's a spiritual um, principle about that. But sometimes it comes to a point where we're never satisfied. We're not content, you know, the, the, the proverbial adage that some of you know what I mean. You get home and they say, so how'd your day go? Terrible. Did you, well, what'd you get done? Nothing. So what'd you do all 12 hours at work? I don't know. But you work like a dog. But in your mind, it's like, I've, I've got to push, 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 push. And, and that's, there's, there's a good thing to that. There's a negative. The negative is we still need to come to a place where we are content with what's been accomplished. We need to become content without becoming hyper and tense and, you know, get the ulcer and the nerves and drive the rest of the people around us nuts. Paul said, I learned that. I admire Paul learning that. I admire Paul learning how to be a gracious receiver. Because I think those are hard lessons, personally. I think there's a whole package of hard lessons that Paul says he had to learn. In fact, in the midst of all of this learning, he says, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. What's he talking about? What is Christ enabling him to do? I think what Christ is enabling him to do is to have a contented spirit in the midst of the difficult, chaotic situation. I think what he's referring to is, uh, is experiencing the peace of God, learning to pause, to be gracious when others aren't gracious to him. I think what he's learning to do is to take time to pray and make it a part of his life. I think what he's learning to do in this aspect is learning to, at moments, have his praise times. He's mentioned all these different items throughout this book. Praising, rejoicing, stop worrying. How do you not worry at times? Paul said, I learned. I learned through the power of Christ within me. How do you confront other believers who are do doing wrong? Boy, it just, it is, it, it can rob your, your entire thoughts for, for days ahead of time before you have that appointment with them or that time, that cup of coffee with them where you're going to bring up something. How do you get the strength? I can do all things through Christ. How do you learn to take a position in doctrine and say, those false teachers, they're a danger without becoming, you know, attacking personality. And he says, I can do all things. How do you be a witness at school when there's the fear and the intimidation from the others in the class? I can do all things through Christ. How do we learn to recognize things that are to be put out of our life? I can do all things through Christ. How do we change our speech? How do we change our attitude? How do we change our temper and get it under control? I can do all things through Christ. What he's talking about is that real spiritual work, the real labor of working with us on the inside. Everything in this last chapter is inside. You know, it was easy when I got saved. 
Uh, yeah, at the time it wasn't, but it is easy looking back. The battles when I first got saved, the battles of the smoking and the drinking and the cussing, they were easy compared to the battle of getting my temper under control, getting my thoughts under control, getting a gracious spirit, which I know that most of you doubt I have one. Okay, so do I. But we all battle. The outside stuff is easier. <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to be silly. It was easy to get my hair cut. I used to have hair, okay? And it was, you know, the long. It was a difficult moment as a teenager, but by comparison to dealing with the inner person, it was easy. He is talking to a mature group of people, and he's saying, you've got the real difficult time. You've reached that point in your life where it is really hard to work on inner attitude, inner thoughts, witnessing and sharing your faith, and taking the big steps of confronting and challenging others and reproducing your faith in the lives of others. I can do all things through Christ. He says, remember this. Remember this. This gives contentment. It brings that peace. It is thinking about what God has provided for you, that position, that peace, that provisions, the people around you that he's given you, the power that he's given you. Let's, let me give you another thought here, okay? What God has given us, God has given us a promise. He's given us a promise, and it's down in verse 19. My God shall supply, what's your Bible read? All your what? Need according to his riches. Look at the promise. It is certain. It is absolute. He shall. Not maybe, he will. This is an absolute definite. It is continuous. The verb is, he shall keep on supplying. It is complete. All of your needs. I'm going to do it. I promise you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep on doing it. It is through Christ and his riches. It's not through other, other you know, sources. It's our fellowship with him. But there is a confining thought here. It's confined to our needs, not our wants. We have to keep that in mind. And it's confined to those who have first learned to give themselves. He is making this promise to a group of believers who have learned to be charitable. Okay? I, it's not, that promise of God providing needs is not a blanket condition for believers who haven't learned to be charitable or to give to the Lord or to be faithful and to handle their finances right. It's to a group that has handled things in a mature fashion. I'll take care of you. It is his promise. It is his promise that he will keep on doing this. Listen, you've got a handful. Actually, you've got more than a handful. You've got six different thoughts to be focusing on this week that will help you to, in, your contented, in your discontented moments to get back to contentment by reflecting upon what God has done. Remember the important things in life that God is giving you that God is helping you with, even in the middle of those painful moments. But we've got to keep focus on what is important. What is the really important areas of our life? Some of you will remember this fella, the actor Danny Thomas. Okay, not a, not a majority of you, but some of you will remember. And he had a program, I don't remember the program. But it was on the air for a lot of years, and it was that Make Room for Daddy. And he was just, you know, the epitome of the TV father in the very first era of TV. He was also involved with, you know, being a philanthropist and getting St. Jude's Hospital up and going. And he even received from Congress one of these citizens, you know, medals. And he was noted as being just this great American citizen, this great family guy. And he had a big family, by the way. His daughter is an actress whose name is Marlo Thomas, who wrote a book. And in the book that she's writing and describing her father, she talks about how she loved her dad. And he was a great man. 
But she also revealed something in this book. She revealed that my dad was so concerned about kids and helping kids and having good, healthy entertainment and taking care of their needs. But in all that busyness, he forgot some kids. They came to call him Uncle Daddy because he was never around for a period of time. She said that we, she and her siblings, they just, he was like that neighborhood guy or that uncle who would show up once in a while and then be gone. So their name became, he's Uncle Daddy to us, not he's dad. Things changed over time and that was rectified, but there was a period of time in his life where he was so focused on so many good things, he forgot the really important gifts in his life. Can that happen to us? Not just with our kids, but can that happen to us in general? That we get so preoccupied with all kinds of things and ministries and problems and pressures that we forget the really important things. Our salvation is a gift. The people of God around us are a gift. The peace that God has available is a real gift. The, the provisions that he will make, we can do our part, but we've got to rely upon him and not fret over it. The power that he makes available to help us to grow spiritually. The promise that he will provide for us. These are the important things that help us to keep our thoughts under control and to maintain a contented spirit by maintaining the proper thought pattern upon these things that are beneficial, that are good, that you are experiencing in your life. One of those thoughts we've talked about tonight is the people of God. I think we need to take time. With everything that's happened over the last few weeks and the busyness of all ministries, take time and just do a little bit of fellowship tonight. I'm going to pray. We're headed to the family center. I need your fellowship. You need others' fellowship. This is our time to set aside. Gather your kids and let's just do some of that this evening before we get out of here just to refresh one another's spirit.